What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. Welcome to another episode of Strictly Business, the podcast in which we speak with some of the brightest minds working in the media business today. I'm Andrew Wallenstein with Variety. The hand-wringing over what generative AI could mean for Hollywood is nothing new, certainly not since last year's strikes. But concerns have ratcheted up to a whole new level in recent weeks when OpenAI gave the world a glimpse of its upcoming text-to-video tool, Sora. At first, the assessments that we were witnessing the end of the entertainment industry as we know it were limited to social media. But then last week, mogul Tyler Perry upped the ante by publicly declaring Sora had prompted him to stop construction on an $800 million expansion of his studio in Atlanta, and he beseeched Congress to save the industry. So what's going on here? Overreaction? Or is it even possible underestimation? To help me make sense of it all, I've enlisted Steven Zeichik, who has been closely tracking the intersection of AI and entertainment at his buzzworthy substack, Mind and Iron. We will be back with him after these messages. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. 
If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com slash strategic. That's oracle.com slash strategic. oracle.com slash strategic. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snag a Job is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. And we are back with Steve Zeitrick, formerly of the Washington Post, the Los Angeles Times, and other august publications, where he has written extensively about media and tech most recently on his Substack, Mind and Iron, which is available every Thursday. You can check it out at mindandiron.com. I'm also lucky to call him a close friend for more than two decades, but this is our very first podcast together, and I can think of no better subject to finally bring us together than one that some say represents the dawn of a new era in entertainment with profound implications. So, Steve, I want to hear what you have to say no pressure, but thanks for stopping by. Andy, it's great to be here. Uh, as you say, after all these decades, of course, we did meet when we were four years old. So two decades, you know, doesn't take us back that far. <laughs> right. um, yeah, I mean, Sora, it has been a fascinating time, obviously, really starting with the release of ChatGPT all the way back in November of 22. Uh, but the ante, as you note, was incredibly upped uh, a couple weeks ago when OpenAI uh, released Sora. This is the text-to-video um uh basically platform or program that OpenAI has not yet released commercially uh but they're unrolling it uh probably uh in the not too distant future and essentially what text to video means is you can put in a text input uh the way you can with ChatGPT for text or the dollies and mid-journeys of the world for images you can do the same now for video and have incredibly realistic looking uh with only some slight bugs as I'm sure we'll get into video and uh, the the power of such a tool. We've heard about it for a long time. We sort of sci-fi writers have kind of dreamed of it. Uh, I don't know if any of us thought we would actually see the day. Uh, certainly 
did not imagine, I think many of us did not imagine seeing it so soon. Here we are very early in 2024, uh, already potentially with the capability to do this. Uh, but Sora is here and it's uh, it's only going to be coming on stronger. So what was it exactly that people found so mind blowing? Because as you said, there were other applications in the marketplace already. Text to video wasn't entirely new. Yeah, it's a good question. And I think, you know, these things are all sort of, uh, you know, a little bit of that that Fitzgerald, you know, how did you go broke gradually at first, then all at once or Hemingway, I always forget who it was. But that's (laughs) certainly been the trajectory of AI where it's kind of like, oh, it's very incremental, it's very slow, it's very slow. And then all of a sudden it seems to be here and we ask how it happens so quickly. So, yes, there certainly have been some uh, kind of video applications. I don't think nearly as smooth uh, and, and I think one of the reasons this took people aback uh, is certainly for those of us with a long enough memory to go back to the earlier, earlier days of the Internet, is that if you remember the sort of distribution of a lot of these um, different forms of media really took a long time to evolve. I mean, you know, people were using email back in the early 90s. Uh, I, I don't think we were seeing video uh, really distributed widely for, you know, 10 to 15 years after that. And so while on the one hand, AI, of course, has been in development for many decades, some of your listeners may know about Eliza, which was a uh, kind of a text based chatbot back in the 60s. But the reality is for most people and for most modern use cases, we really have not had uh, any sort of widely deployed AI uh, until just you know a little over a year ago with ChatGPT. And so to go from a text based uh, you know application to a video based one in literally you know 14 months, when you think about you know, previous, uh, you know, evolutions took 14 years. I think that's partly why people are so shocked by this. I think there was something also about what was in market uh, prior to Sora had just lasted clips that were about four seconds. And there was something about getting to that one minute mark that Sora that was able was able to do that. I mean, that, I think, really woke people up to the fact that this technology was evolving very quickly. But see, here's the thing for me. I think there's for me, I'm not so quick to presume that means that going forward, there's going to be some uninterrupted hockey stick, you know, evolution up into the right that means that, you know, by the end of the year, Sora is going to be spitting out a, a 90 minute movie that's going to be ready for theatrical distribution. What do you think in terms of the evolution of this stuff going forward from here? Yeah, no, I think the length is is a very big question. I mean, certainly you're right that the uh, the quantum leap we've just had is is nothing short of remarkable. Uh, Whether you think this is a good thing or not, when I say remarkable, I don't mean that it's uh, going to uh, save humanity. It could also be its destruction. But certainly in terms of the tech and the uh, and the kind of, of form factor here, it's it's really remarkable that we've gone from either, as you say, very short videos or really even still images uh, to a full minute. But yeah, the technical challenges without sort of getting or boring anyone with the engineering uh, or kind of uh, processing requirements here, uh, but but the kind of capabilities needed uh, to go from a minute uh, to, to uh, you know, let's say, I don't know, even a 25 minute episode of television is not simply a factor of, you know, 25, where you can just stack minute long videos together. First of all, they, they would not, uh, you'd have to stitch them essentially in a way that would not work. Um, and then even doing a lot of one minute videos. I mean, we, we know how much power uh, even one minute takes. So uh, I don't think we're going to see full length, forget feature films, but even, even you know, 
shorter, you know, sitcom type episodes anytime soon. But I think that the future is now in the sense that it will only be a matter of time. I mean, to me, the question of the question of time is not really a significant one. You know, again, a lot of this is about processing power. Uh, you know, basically how computers can handle this much data in 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 and and sort of troll this much uh, data in 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 a short amount of time. That we will get there. I, I'm I'm not concerned in, from a technical standpoint. I don't think there's any there's any kind of hindrance there. I think the question is how good will it be when we do get there? I mean, and I don't know if you want to get into the challenges now, but even in the one minute. Uh, we know about all the laws of physics that are being defined. You know, the cat with the with the fifth leg, or the uh, you know, or the the, the, the cookie that never gets eaten. Yeah, the the extra hand, the person who's flying backwards. I mean, all of these are not small challenges. It's not like a case. I mean, yes, you could have humans go in and and fix that as you can with any sort of animation, but. Uh, that that essentially defeats the purpose of having a machine do this. I mean, you could also have a, a human design this whole thing in, a, in an animation studio. So I think that will be the question in terms of the democratization is not so much when we can get to the length, because, look, people will play with minute long formats. We have TikTok videos that are 10 seconds that go viral. I'm not really. And, and eventually we will get to the 25 minute or 95 minute mark. I think the question is, how good will they be when we do? But still, I want to, like, just back up for a second. I'm just picturing like your mom, my mom listening to this podcast, and I just want to make sure they understand the implications because you know they love podcasts um, of what we're talking about, where, you know, the way I want to explain it is, you know, the way it's always worked if you wanted to shoot a scene of something was, you know, you had to have cameras and actors or at least animation or you know a set or a location and now thanks to this software all you need is a computer and then you you know you whisper some text instructions into you know Sora's ear and Sora simply ushers into existence what all that equipment and all the the cost and time and manpower that comes with that and every all of that is no longer necessary. And that is simply revolutionary. Now, Sora, as we currently know it, I think we've just made clear, is not ready for prime time, but it's not about where it's at now. It's about where it could be in the future. So if you are in a, you know, a traditional Hollywood production company studio, how are you not freaking out? Uh, yeah, well, uh, for, for better or worse, neither of us run studios. I think normally maybe for worse, although it, on a day like today and after the release of Sora, maybe it's a good thing we're not dealing with this problem. But but look, you're absolutely right. I mean, the the, the transformation, the transfer, transformational moment we're in is is uh, is striking and is I would you know you you talk about just being able to speak and you know our our mothers being able to just speak and and a video is created I mean you know think about what just what that's meant for distribution uh, for so many years where it's like you know it used to take you know an engineering degree and if that if you could even do it uh, to send a video to basically you know tell your your friends that hey look at this cute thing my uh, my my grandkid did or my friend did or my nephew did or my child did. And now, of course, with a flick of a, a, a keystroke or a swipe of a screen, we can do that. And so 
Um, essentially, what we're now doing is porting that over to not just the distribution, but the production. And and I think that really dovetails uh, right into your question about, you know, where where Hollywood studios are going to take this and how worried they should be about where it's going to go. I mean, you know, and, and you were there covering it right at the dawn of the YouTube age where it's like the studios are sort of like, what are we going to do that anyone can kind of upload and share videos? And how is that going to disrupt our business? We know what Google did about it. They went out and bought YouTube. And we saw eventually uh, after Netflix and other companies kind of ate their lunch, how the legacy media outlets uh, started to react. And I think that's a bit of a good template maybe for for uh, for how to see this moment from a production standpoint, if you're a studio, which is to say, massive fears of disruption and is this going to take away our business and let's be real you know the, the netflixes of the world the, the the automation of the distribution or the ease of distribution did in many ways uh you know take away a lot of their business and i think that can and very much in some cases will happen on the production side that said i don't think anyone feels like hollywood studios have gone away because of streaming in some ways it's been another uh, it's been a boon for them it's been a, re a revenue stream it's disrupted them and it's and it's been their salvation. And although I don't think we quite yet know how it's going to play out, I think using that as a sort of rubric to say, look, the automation of production, much like the automation of distribution, is going to be incredibly disruptive. It's going to create, uh, you know, years, if not more of, uh, you know, new business models of people having to learn new skills of people losing their jobs, maybe some other people getting jobs. But ultimately, uh, I, I don't think from where I sit and I don't I'm not you know me, I'm not usually a, a Pollyanna about this stuff. I don't think it's going to bring down the traditional business any more than than streaming, i.e. the distribution side of this brought down Hollywood. I think it just fundamentally transformed Hollywood. And I think we're going to get to that point as well here. Well, enter Tyler Perry or should I say Chicken Little? <laughs> what I mean by that is he gives his interview to The Hollywood Reporter in which he declares the sky is falling. You know, he makes some really, really bold statements uh, uh, to quote, you know, just a few of them. Here's one quote. There's got to be some sort of regulations in order to protect us. If not, I just don't see how we survive. End quote. I love the we, by the way, as if <laughs> as if he's in the same tax bracket as the people he's trying to protect. But no, look, I mean, give the guy credit for doing at least what no one else in his tax bracket seems willing to do, which is to get out there and, and ring the alarm in a major way. The question, though, is, you know, is he being hysterical or responsible? Yeah, and and I think maybe a little bit of both. Um, and just to go back for a second to your we question, I I think both tax bracket and and job responsibility I think needs to be delineated there because and he even said it himself. He's like, look, as an employer, as a boss, as an executive, uh, this is really you know kind of my wildest fantasy. It's like you can automate large parts of the of the the assembly line, as it were. And if you're trying to, you know, you're worried about costs and even Tyler Perry has to worry about costs, uh, suddenly you just saved on a whole bunch of animators or certainly kind of are able to scale back a lot of what, a lot of the sort of uh, kind of spade work that had to be done or grunt work that had to be done by, by humans. So I think from that perspective, uh, he's probably not freaking out too much, but as he also notes as an actor, as a, um, uh, you know, as a, as a, as a craftsman, uh, as a fellow, you know, employee of a lot of the people who work for him, 
uh, clearly there's uh, there's a lot of disruption there. I mean, look, this is, you know, I don't think Tyler Perry is, I, I think he's hysterical in that, you know, the notion that, you know, somehow we shouldn't be building studios or we should worry that the entire industry is just going to evaporate because, uh, you know, some, you know, teenager can suddenly, you know, create the next Medea or whatever franchise is going to resonate with people. I, I think that's an exaggeration. I mean, I think that, uh, first of all, that's a long way off from happening. Even when it does happen, it'll probably be a very much a second class uh, citizen. I mean, again, you know, did, is, is TikTok uh, competing with with Game of Thrones or with Succession? It's not. Um, you know, maybe it's competing on the mindshare front. Uh, but but clearly, you know, we're not we're not going to be at the point where uh, where any of uh, this technology can create the next succession. I think he's being responsible in the sense we need to be, you know, kind of plotting our course uh, well in advance of when we've been doing that. And, you know, it's funny you mentioned the, you know, we need regulation. We need to get uh, get, you know, kind of our ducks in a row here. Um, he also said something as he was making those comments. He said we need to not just like do this one guild or one union at a time, one strike at a time. And I think he's absolutely right about that. I mean, I think as much as the the writers and actor strikes, I think put AI at the forefront. This sort of patchwork approach from a Hollywood industry perspective that we had over the last year, where the directors went and made their own deals, and the writers made a deal, and then the actors kind of got what they got. And then, of course, you've got all these other unions, the below the line folks. Uh, th that's not really going to work. And and I would argue that not even from a labor standpoint, but from an from a studio and management and and producerial standpoint, there needs to be a lot more alignment, a lot more talking. And and you know you talk about regulation, a lot more negotiation with uh, with with Washington because let's be real about this too. You know the Sam Altmans and and Satya Nadellas and and all of the tech moguls they are they are working their hardest to make sure that from a lobbying standpoint uh, they have as as few regulations as possible. I know there's a big lawsuit, a few big lawsuits now, including the New York Times uh, suing OpenAI for copyright infringement. But the reality is. To the degree this is going to be negotiated in the halls of Congress, um, tech is, you know, halfway uh, through the marathon and, you know, you've got Hollywood executives still debating what sneakers to buy. I mean, so this is a this is we are incredibly behind as an industry from Hollywood standpoint uh, relative to where the tech industry is in terms of figuring this out regulatorily. So in all of those regards, I think Tyler Perry is exactly right. Uh, but I do think that. Uh, in terms of the immediate fears, the immediate displacement, the, the, the idea that the quality of work can somehow start even remotely approaching uh, what, what even very basic professionals do, I, I think we're a ways off from that. We will be back in just a moment with more with Steve Zajic. Stick around. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. 
With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com iHeart. That's LifeLock.com iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. And we are back with Steve Zychik, who writes frequently about issues uh, regarding artificial intelligence at his Substack, Mind and Iron, which you could check out at mindandiron.com. He puts out really good stuff every Thursday, so do check it out. You know, Steve, you were just talking about, uh, you know, you kind of panned back and gave us the big picture in terms of the the battle lines being drawn here. And it just seems like such an impossible state of affairs when you think about the regulatory picture, the guild picture, and what Tyler Perry is calling on for here in terms of this industry getting its act together and getting everyone uh, on the same page. Uh, what hope can we really have for Hollywood to fight this battle in the right way? Well, if streaming is any, any, any indication, I would say zero. Um, (laughs) You know, it's like the whole thing. I mean, you follow out of this stuff, like whatever we did with social media on the tech side, let's do the opposite now with AI. And I, I think you can make a case that that's true with, uh, with streaming as well. I mean, you know, we, we obviously saw the legacy companies way behind, uh, we saw black box data issues. We saw lack of revenue sharing. I mean, creators certainly don't want to repeat any of that. And, and uh, you know, I don't think it's a stretch to say we're in danger of doing that and then some. So, you know, I don't think the historical precedent here uh, is terribly encouraging. And I think, as you've kind of been alluding to, 
in some ways, this is in a lot of ways, this is more transformative than streaming. Uh, you know, production and creation uh, always going to be more fundamental to the business than distribution, though distribution is, of course, very important. So I don't have a ton of hope. The only the only sort of in that regard, the glimmer I would offer listeners here and and you could tell me if you think I'm being too optimistic is that I think we have learned some lessons. I, I do think, you know, I talk to executives, uh, as I'm sure to you, who kind of say, look, you know, we, we are not going to get caught unawares of the way we were, you know, there were so many people 10, 15 years ago who dismissed a lot of this stuff as just either, you know, kind of wannabe, uh, con- you know, Hollywood content or user generated stuff. You know, we're both old enough to remember the whole MySpace days and the frenzy about that. And that that wasn't going to really cannibalize the business. And and I think that I think Hollywood executives now and, and, and labor guilds, for that matter, are just too savvy. They know that they cannot underestimate this. Uh, now, does that mean they're going to react to that in the right way are they going to align and and get you know uh you know you know can the guilds even get on the same page can management and the guilds given some of the rancor uh decide what's best for them because you know look as much as i think the hollywood studios and management are are in some ways you know tyler perry being an example in this regard uh the enemy of labor i also think they're their best ally because because the tech companies as we know don't necessarily care that much about Hollywood studios and preserving their business model. They care about maximizing their profits as they should. So to the extent that this is going to be a battle between big tech and Hollywood writ large, then hopefully producers and executives and conglomerates can get on the same page with workers and creators, because the sooner they can do that, the better they can figure out, you know, how to either neutralize the threat or work in concert with, with the opportunity. But but, you know, and I don't mean to like sing a kumbaya tune here, but I think the more uh, kind of animus and tension you have between Hollywood management and Hollywood labor, uh, the, the, the more likely it is that big tech is going to come and eat both their lunches. Yeah, uh, I my head is spinning just listening to this. I mean, I, I'm still somewhat fixated on the notion that, you know, and I'm not I'm not pinning this on Tyler Perry, but, you know, he's obviously calling for Congress to uh, have the studios protect labor and I guess obviously not fire everyone in sight and just have computers crank out uh, all the production needs, you know, from here on in and because obviously that would be tremendous cost savings. But, you know, when I keep my, when I wrap my head around that scenario, I sort of say to myself, so if you, Force the studios to keep employing people. Okay, if there's some sort of protection there, how do you keep the studios competition from then utilizing the technology and then beating them at a fraction of the cost and keeping the purveyors of that technology from, you know, do you keep them from 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 deploying the technology? Like, I just I don't understand how that all that could even possibly work. You don't think Congress is is in any way the answer here? Is your point? I, I just don't know how you how you have Congress force the studios to keep people employed, even though that is the most humane solution. And I don't know how you keep the technology companies from not deploying the technology. I just don't understand how that works. So a couple of things there, they're, they're not going to, there's no way, they're not going to stop the technology companies from, from deploying the technology. I think what's going to happen is, and this is not really a congressional issue, this is a judicial issue, and I'm 
I'm not an expert on regulation or legislation uh, in this regard or in any regard, but my understanding from covering this a little bit is that really what can happen on that side is just the toughening up of existing copyright laws. They're pretty tough as it is, but they could be tougher in some respects. And then the enforcement, and of course, that's going to be up to the courts. And again, we'll see where this New York Times lawsuit goes. But but I think insofar, and, and that would address kind of the second part of your question, which is what's going to stop people from just uh, you know, grabbing it uh, on the one hand. So that, that, you know, that depends on copyright. And I don't think that's a resolved issue yet. You know, can OpenAI just unleash a product that lets people like, you know, drop Brad Pitt, take Brad Pitt from, I don't know, seven and drop him into their student film? Like, I, I think that there are legal mechanisms that can prevent that. Certainly that can prevent that from getting distributed. If someone does that, uh, you know, I don't think OpenAI cares. I think they want people to use this tool. Um, I also think there could be judicial restraint or 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 legislative and judicial restraints put on, um, you know, how much open AI could uh, could actually uh, train their models on this data to begin with. It was interesting. I don't know if you uh, noticed this nuance, but when Sam Altman was giving his little spiel on Sora, he was talking about how this was all kind of trained on publicly uh, available information. And so I, I think they're very aware now that that the initial chat GPT, which uh, it was a lot murkier in what it was grabbing, as we see from the New York Times lawsuit, they have to be a lot more careful about that. So I think that does address a little bit of what can be taken. And if you do take it, uh, you have to pay for it. And, and that's, of course, one avenue this could all go as well, which is uh, they do train on uh, a lot of this data uh, that's, you know, that's copyrighted, but but the studios and hopefully the artists get compensated for it. You know, in terms of the jobs, I'm extremely, extremely pessimistic about the kind of protectionism that I don't know if Tyler Perry is actively advocating for it, but to the degree he's kind of dangling this hope that Congress is going to pass a law that keeps people employed when there's technology that can uh, that can automate their jobs. I, I mean, again, I am no labor historian by any stretch, but if you look at the history of automation in this country and the auto industry and 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 other other industries, there's just not a lot of reason to think that's that's going to work. Um, you know, and, and you can go back to the typewriter, you can go yeah. you know, to you know to Google to search engines. I just don't think that's going to work. I think what you can have, and I don't know if this happens legislatively or if it happens, uh, you know, within the private sector. I think what you can have is retraining. Yeah, you can basically say we're going to yes, this is going to potentially in some cases take your jobs, but in other cases make it easier. We're going to help you do your job better with the help of this technology or do a different job now that technology is doing this current one. And I think there is room for that. Now, I don't want to get too like shiny optimist about that because I, I think there's a limit to how much re you can retrain someone if their jobs are now completely automated. But I think there is some, there's some avenue for hope there. Yeah. I do hope this isn't a matter of just simple displacement, but, uh, We'll we'll have to see on that. And and on the copyright question, keep in mind, I think copyright is almost like we're getting a little ahead of ourselves where we still need to see Sora be equipped with having some degree of creative control where filmmakers will be able to in to use your example, insert Brad Pitt or insert, you know, whoever. Because at this point, we we don't you know there, you can't even add sound <laughs> to 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 Sora. Although uh, Eleven Labs, another uh, 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 software tool out there, you could layer sound on top of things. But you know, there's so much that still needs to be demonstrated at this point. 
Um, what I'm also wondering about at this time is I'm wondering, especially as we see one minute clips is not even just the disruption that is going to happen in terms of we're obviously focusing on Hollywood premium long form entertainment. I'm wondering whether the TikTok and YouTubes of the world have things to worry about here because these this kind of technology is also going to impact, you know, the social video creator economy layer of the world because let's not forget that just because these videos can will great premium video into existence, that doesn't mean everyone is Steven Spielberg. Not everyone is going to be able to turn this into 90 minutes or 30 minutes. But what they will be able to do is um, social video, which already has no barriers to entry. I, I, why can't OpenAI become the next YouTube? Uh, or the next TikTok. In other words, I think the existing platforms in social video could perhaps find a new platform emerge from these uh, new players that already power this kind of video. You see what I'm saying? Do you think the cut? Because right, well, right now, OpenAI. I mean, OpenAI is purely a tech company. In fact, they want developers forget distribution. They don't even want to, you know, they don't even want to be creating the apps here. But you think that either OpenAI or a company that's responsible for the tech, by the way, Google would be would be the natural one because of right. course they have both the AI capabilities and you know with YouTube, the distribution capabilities. But do but you think there might be some kind of blurring of the lines between the tech that enables the creation and, and, and the distribution where those companies get into the distribution? Uh, to me, it's a natural extension. I mean, and, and Google, by the way, could be right behind um uh, open AI here. They have the Lumiere is something that is coming that supposedly is going to be very similar to Sora. I'm just saying open AI, I think why not open up a distribution platform and compete because you're going to have tons of video coming out as people play with this stuff. Why not get into that space as well? It could be a whole new play. And so I just wonder whether we should be thinking even a little more broadly here in terms of what disruption could come. If I was Sam Altman, that's how I'd be thinking. Yeah, the, the, he's not shown to date a lot of interest in, uh, and you know, you could say this is wise or not. I actually think it kind of is. He's not shown a lot of interest in being sort of front facing in that way. I think he knows there's companies with massive uh, footholds. I think he feels like uh, if he does his job well, and if OpenAI is able to create or or, or give developers the tools, really, because they're not really even creating a lot of this, but they're giving developers, in, I mean, sorry, it's a different case, but they're giving developers the tools to create this stuff, then they can go out and put it on those distribution platforms. Though, you know, OpenAI, of course, as we know, has a very close relationship, uh, both spiritually and, and corporately with Microsoft. And, uh, you know, Microsoft clearly has a lot of reach with Windows and, and Office and all that. So th there's certainly some some potential there. I, I was curious, there's something you said a second ago was interesting that I was hoping maybe to circle back to for a minute. Like you talk about what it can do in terms of the barriers to entry for creators. Do you think in terms of the creator economy, this is like an unabashed, well, is this a good thing? Is this a bad thing? It's really gonna, gonna up the level of uh, kind of, you know, professional or semi-professional creators who are not, you know, Hollywood types at all. You're, 
your Mr. Beast and, and you know, your your TikTok kind of auteurs, this would seem to really just give them tools that are almost unimaginable. It, it levels the playing field for them, uh, as I see it. What, what do you what do you think it does in terms of that world and creativity and the monetization thereof? I think you could see it level the playing field. I think you could see a whole new uh a whole new uh, group of players come in that are maybe more adept at uh, the kind of premium entertainment that, you know, maybe the Mr. Beasts of the world are not necessarily adept at. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I just think that what we are talking about here in general, whether we're talking about creator economy, premium entertainment, it's so hard to get my head around the disruption that we're going to see. And I think a lot of what's going to be disrupted, like we could barely conceive of it. That's how huge this is. Yeah. And I think just to add to that, I mean, you talk about the whole new layer of, of creators who, uh, who can, you know, sort of, uh, up their game or, or figure out how to master these tools in a way that maybe this current or previous generation of content creators haven't, you know, I would look at animation. I, I really would. I mean, you know, animation, and, and this is where maybe, you know, if I'm, you know, Illumination or I'm Pixar or I'm any of these companies that have that have done this so well for so long, I'm worried because forget just the, the you know, the animators on the floor who, who should be rightly worried here. But, you know, this is going to give tools. I mean, and I think, you know, we both watched these, these videos and these demos and sort of saw all the remarkable animations that were being created. I think I was frankly more struck by that than, uh, than, than some of the live stuff. And to me, if you're able to kind of create animation at that level, you know, if, if you're, your average or, or a slightly above average content creator could now create, you know, a one minute, and then it gets a little bit longer, you know, gets, you know, these animations that, you know, you know, Pixar Illumination does shorts and now suddenly there's like someone who's mastered these tools and maybe as an artist in their own right, but is not employed by a studio as has no affiliation with them is now suddenly creating Pixar or Illumination level animation. You know, what does that do to both sides, right? What does that do to the Hollywood firmament where it's like now suddenly you've got uh, you, you we, we can't distinguish between these studios. And what does it do to uh, to these YouTube TikTok like platforms where suddenly it's not just, you know, uh, you know, somebody doing com some fun karaoke video, but I'm watching, you know, and I know this is a bit of a stretch, but but not as much, not as big as it was a month ago, where I'm watching someone do the next, you know, um, Coco or Cars or uh, or Minions. It, it just feels to me like uh, there are so many places here where the content creators could, could get this massive boost. Again, the ones who know how to use the tools. And then, you know, how does that get monetized? If, if suddenly uh, someone could do really high level stuff without having to go through the studios. Uh, again, to your point, I think that's an area where the level of disruption is just mind boggling. And it just brings me back to Tyler Perry. And, and it's so easy to dismiss what he is saying and, and the profound implications of what he's raising as hysteria. But the thing I keep coming back to is, and I think we're gonna end on this note is, it's it's as if, you know, I, I'm typically allergic to hysteria, but in this scenario, I find that for once I find myself thinking hysteria is plausible. And if it's plausible, isn't it truly kind of apocalyptic? And how disturbing is that? 
I would end on this note from my end, the, the slight bit of optimism I would inject to that and maybe leave listeners with from, from my point of view is that if you love Tyler Perry and you love the Medea movies or you love, you know, Spielberg or James Cameron, whoever it is, the reality is, is not only can these uh, can these models not actually create that. I mean, they may be able to emulate it, but they can create something that distinctive. It's going to make those people even more prized. And I think we're going to love if you love, you know, whether it's from Tyler Perry to Steven Spielberg to to Catherine Bigelow to Ava DuVernay. I mean, you name it. If you love that filmmaker, you love that creator, you know, in the sea of pseudo professional content, that stuff is going to be even more valuable. There's going to be even more premium, more of a premium on people who could bring their artistry and humanity. I don't think it's going to touch that high level of content. In fact, it may even put more of an emphasis on it. So I don't know if that tempers the apocalypse, but that's the one thing I would say on that. Score one for traditional Hollywood. Well, thanks, Steve, for taking the time out. You, of course, can check out everything he writes uh, every week on his Substack at Mind and Iron. Appreciate you taking the time out. Great being here, Andy. Thanks for listening. Be sure to leave us a review at Apple Podcasts and Amazon Music. We love to hear from listeners. Please go to Variety.com to sign up for the free weekly Strictly Business newsletter. And don't forget to tune in next week for another episode of Strictly Business. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast.